Right, hello. I'm, today I'm with uh, Dr. Helen Jeffries. Hello, Helen. Hello, Simon. Uh, it's nice to see you. And, and, and just to say, uh, Helen, this is a, this is a, uh, a great opportunity here because we have already recorded a few podcasts. They've all been audio only, so this will be our first uh, recording uh, uh, video-wise. And I just wonder whether you'd explain why uh, that's important for you. Of course. I mean, it's not that I just need the world to see my beautiful face, though that is clearly part of it. But um, I'm keen to talk about the connection between nature and autism. And I'm an autistic person myself, and I think almost entirely in visual terms. So I find it really quite hard to focus if I haven't got something to look at. So I was thinking that if any autistic people were going to actually um, listen to this podcast, it would probably be much easier for them to take in what I was saying if they could see me as well. So huge apologies to all the neurotypical people out there. That's the people who aren't autistic for having to look at me, but um, go with it. And hopefully this is just a little part of making the world more inclusive. And it's really great that we're able to be the first in the podcast to give that a go. That's brilliant. I, I love that. So, so this is good. We, we're we're starting the way we mean to go on here, which is to uh, to to be first to to talk about some of these things really certainly with our audience. And and I'll be sharing uh, this recording with our, our team here at Hates. We're really um, we're, we're, we really want to focus on trying to encourage our teams to talk about uh, who they are as people and what the strengths are. And and in terms of um, I'm not going to use the word weakness, but in terms of, I think the weakness is possibly on the, those of us who don't understand, you know, the, how, how everybody fires a little bit differently. So the exciting thing is, Helen, we, we first came, I think, into contact during um, the worst of, of coronavirus. That sounds not in contact with coronavirus, but as a result of coronavirus. We're, uh, for those listening, Helen, Helen kindly became one of our correspondence and, and uh, wrote some lovely blogs and pieces uh, about her travels uh, through London during lockdown. And it, what was interesting when we set this podcast up, we communicated and I, and I saw your email sign off and it said, Helen Jeffries, I, I'm reading it now, I'm autistic and happy to talk about it. And I thought, well, let's talk. So what can we start with, because you, you may say, I know what autism is, but I, I don't really think I necessarily do. So what is autism and what do I need to know about it in order to help me continue with this this, this conversation and, and, and make it more helpful to everyone who's listening? Really big question, Simon, but I'll do my best. So I guess the main thing to start with is that when you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. So realistically everybody who hears this is going to know at least one autistic person about one percent of the population is autistic but the fact that you know one or two autistic people doesn't mean that we're all like that so i'm very conscious that i need to talk to my own experience so i can tell you about how autism is for me but it won't necessarily be like that for everybody else um so I guess the main things for me are that I experience autism as a communication disability, which means that my native language isn't people, if I can put it like that. So I'm perfectly happy talking to you, Simon, like this, but I'm effectively doing it in my second language. So the 
the result of that and the impact on me is the same as if, say, you or I were to get dropped in Paris and have to conduct all of our conversations in French. We'd probably get very good at French after a while, but we'd quite often make some grammatical mistakes. And at the end of the day, we'd be completely exhausted and thinking, oh, for heaven's sake, can I not please talk my native language? So the way, main way that autism impacts me is through that sense of exhaustion and having to concentrate on speaking a second language the whole of the time. And that's actually quite common for how autism expresses itself in women and girls, that um, probably because of how society has conditioned us, we do tend to fit in, but it takes a great deal more effort to be able to fit in for autistic women and girls. Whereas the stereotype of autism is much more about men and boys, and it tends to come across as people who are perhaps blunt, who appear to be unemotional. You might be able to hear that I've got a slightly flat tone of speaking voice. That's quite typical of autism. Also, I have hypersensitive senses. So I'm very sensitive to light, um, colour, sound, background noise. And actually, I think that's going to be really relevant when we're talking about nature, that one of the things that autistic people can find such a relief being out in the natural world is that the sensory stimulation is reduced to a, a much more bearable level. If you think that being in the city with all of the, the sounds and the noise and the smells is almost overwhelming for me, it would it probably has the same effect on me that it would have on you if you were in a, a disco perpetually. It's really hard to think because all the lights, all the people around you, the jostling, you just can't concentrate. And that's how life is for me all of the time in a city. So getting out into nature, or indeed during lockdown, when all the traffic and the people weren't there, was just so wonderful because it reduced the sensory input to a level which I could manage. I could hear the bird song, didn't have to hear the traffic, the smell of the traffic was gone, didn't have to interact with people in my non-native language. And so in many ways, lockdown was a bit of an autistic paradise, um, not making light of the terrible things that happened, of course, but it really did have its upsides for me as an autistic person. I mean, you know, if I, if I go to a, it's, it's been a while, but if I go to a disco <laughs> for, you know, even for a couple of hours, uh, and I'm showing my age just by saying a disco, you know, I'm absolutely shattered by the end of it, worn out. You know, it takes it out of me so much. And, and you know, I, I couldn't go, I couldn't live in a disco. So we're saying generally that, you know, almost every day, you know, this is, your senses are being fired up and and but it must take so much energy out of you as well is it, is it sapping is it it's absolutely exhausting I, one of the things that people quite often notice about an autistic person is that we like routine and we like things to be the same and the reason that we do tend to like those things is because it imposes a bit of predictability and control on that huge amount of disco noise so if I always eat the same thing for lunch, then at least that's one set of sensations which I don't have to worry about. Or if I always do things at the same time of day, that frees up a bit of brain space to cope with all of this noise and um, lights and things that are going on around me. So, yeah, I would say it's a huge part of the autistic experience, just managing to function in that really hypersensitive um, sensory overload situation. And sometimes we just need to get away from it all, get away from people, 
at work, I'm sometimes obliged to just lock myself in the loo. But in an ideal world, I would be able to get out into the countryside, get away from people, be on my own, um, and actually absorb some of that calm which you can get from the natural world. I see. So from a work perspective, probably, and I'm guessing that, and I'm really cautious about guessing, and please, you know, just jump in and tell me, you know, if, I, if it's an incorrect guess, but I, I imagine at work, you know, an open plan office would, would, would be hell, really, because you, you would, you know, you, you would be able to hear conversations, you would be able to hear PCs whirring and all sorts of sounds that, and you just can't switch them off. You just can't concentrate really on, on what you have to do. Yes, an open plan office can be extremely difficult. I always sit in the corner. I have a designated desk so that at least on two sides of the corner, I haven't got sensory input. But yes, um, actually, that's another way in which COVID was comparatively good for me, really selfishly. Um, there were many fewer people in the office. I happened to be doing a key worker job, which is why I was going to the office every day. Um, but most people were working from home, which meant that the open plan office had many fewer people in it. It was much easier to deal with. Now things are getting back to how they were before COVID, packed offices. Actually, also the bright lights that you have in offices, that fluorescent light can be very difficult for autistic people. And so um, I guess this is that moment of having to negotiate how to function back in what is normal. And I, I'm getting used to yes. it, but it is certainly very tiring. But Helen, when, when you were um, when you were taking those walks through central London, um, you know you, you weren't walking to a, a job that, that held no responsibility. It's very obviously over to you if you if if you want or would like or are able to say exactly what you were doing. But you were walking into at the time, you know, you were walking into. Um, I'm, I'm trying to stop myself from saying a battlefield, but it must have felt like a battlefield. So this 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 kind of no man's land really in between your, your the safety of your home and then you were you you were uh, almost artificially being able to benefit from uh, the lockdown because you, you don't have, have the normal distractions of, of all, even walking through a, I have a meeting in in London soon and I'm already thinking how busy it is and and and, and you know I don't have autism uh, and, and how I will get from A to B. But, but you were walk, walking into a very stressful job at the time. And the, the contrast between, you know, of that walk and then into that environment must have, although being helpful, it must have also been very jarring for you as well. Can Are you happy to tell us a little bit more about that? Or would you rather me sure. change the subject? <laughs> no, no. Um, I think it's actually quite illuminating to talk about the autistic aspect. So I work for the Department of Health and Social Care. So clearly during COVID, I was very busy working on things to do with COVID. And one of the roles that I did was that I was responsible for collating the death figures every day. So we were working shifts and on in the evening, we would begin to get indicative data on how many people had died the previous day and those the numbers were just unimaginable i can conceptualize one death but 500 deaths in order to work with that kind of thing and it was my job to make sure that data was accurate um, that we hadn't missed anything out that we hadn't miscalculated or missed a cell on the spreadsheet quite 
prosaic process things that had to be done in order to get those done kind of had to set aside the reality of what it was like um to be thinking about those people in intensive care who might not make it so yes it was an extremely intense job in some ways um being autistic was a bit of a help with dealing with a crisis situation because i've said that autism is a communications issue chiefly and so what i find difficult can be making the small talk that's expected by neurotypical people my instinct will be to cut straight to the heart of the matter to not do the good morning how are you what are we feeling today all of that sort of conversation and in a crisis situation you've actually got a lot more latitude to cut straight to the heart of the matter to go for the facts and sort those out so that worked quite well for me um but yes the the emotional situation could be quite overwhelming um i was managing a team of staff some of whose family were ill not all of whose family made it um and i mentioned that because i do think it's an important point that an autistic person isn't an emotionless automaton as some people imagine in fact autistic people feel just as much emotion as anyone else in fact possibly rather more we can be hypersensitive to emotion as well but the way that we give the impression of being emotionless automata is because we don't necessarily communicate our response to emotion in the same way so as a manager i was having to think very carefully what is the right thing to say um, to each member of staff depending on what their situation might be managing their stress levels feeling their emotion but having to think very carefully to translate my instinctive response which wouldn't necessarily have been in the right words into um a more into what they needed to hear given that it was their problem not mine and i do think that is the yeah. heart of a lot of the autistic communications issues it's not that we don't have the same feelings as neurotypical people but we probably use different words and so we might be interpreted yes. wrongly what's interesting is is that many of the things you you mentioned there that you know you had to be aware and more more cautious about sound sound like skills of of a good manager you know <laughs> having to listen more think about more about how you deliver uh, a message think about the strengths and weaknesses of of a, t of a team member i imagine and, and and think about you know treating people as individuals which is uh, you know uh, are actually all skills but i i suppose the thing is with autism you you because of the communication challenges you're more aware that you have to be more aware of these things rather than cutting to the heart of of, of what the actual problem is but and yet in in a, in a way to hear you say that to me sounds like a strength uh really just to be aware of of that and i suppose that's where we are as humans thinking about either our challenges our weaknesses uh, if, if they are weaknesses and, and and learning how to deal with them better but in in, in which case you know, I, I was surprised when I, because I thought, you know, you, the, the, you seemed to me somebody who had come to terms with this maybe a long time ago. And yet it, it was only relatively recently that you were uh, diagnosed with autism. You know, how, how recent and how did you feel when you, was it like a light bulb had been switched on? Ah, you know, I've always known or that explains that or, 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 or was it depressing and shocking and, and, and so on? It was a really weird combination of emotions. Um, so I was diagnosed about five years ago. 
all my life I'd known that there was something different about me, that I was weird, I'd been bullied at school, found it difficult to make friends, all of that kind of thing. Um, found it exhausting to do all the things that normal kids do. So um, all those um, university social engagements that you have to do if you're um, going to have any friends at all were just exhausting as opposed to enjoyable. So it was a great relief to me to realise what was finally going on. Um, I hadn't been diagnosed in childhood because diagnosis wasn't routine then, back in the 90s. Um, but also women and girls tend to be diagnosed a lot less because we have learned to hide it better, possibly because of how society pressurises us to smile, make eye contact, make other people feel comfortable, whereas men and boys are socialised much more to be assertive that they could get away with being blunt and the autism is more expressed. So I had um, that diagnosis then as a result actually of my friend's child getting diagnosed, which led to my friend realising that I was the same. Um, and it was a huge weight off my shoulders in many ways because all of the things that I had been getting wrong, those embarrassing slips, misunderstandings um, that I'd thought were my fault turned out not to be my fault. So that was a great relief. I could stop beating myself up. I could stop thinking if only I was less lazy, I'd be okay. Because I thought that getting tired of social engagements was because I was being lazy. Um, but also I then, I was a middle manager then, I looked around and I couldn't see anyone professional who was autistic, who was at my level. Um, I could see a couple of people who were more junior to me, absolutely nobody senior. So the sad bit was, okay, I'm clearly not wired properly to be able to do my career. I'm not going to succeed. And that was quite a painful realisation. Also, actually, so much of how I behave and my personality was explained by autism. There was a, a phase of thinking, well, who the heck is Helen? It appears to be all autism. So that was both a great relief and a difficult period to get through but I I did get very lucky and it sounds awful to say it but I got very lucky through the crises that this government's gone through because there was a much greater need for staff so there were promotion opportunities and also as I've indicated autistic people can thrive in crisis situations because being blunt and factual and logical is exactly what you need when things are going horribly wrong so I got my promotion opportunities which got me into the senior civil service during COVID. And then being there, I thought, okay, now is the moment when I probably need to be the role model that I didn't have when it was me at the junior level. Yes. So since then, I've started talking much more openly about my experiences, which is why I'm so keen to be a bit evangelical about this, because I do find that people come up to me and say that they find it helpful to have um, role models who are openly autistic. There are clearly some autistic people in the public um, eye. Chris Packham's an obvious one, um, but plenty of others. But I think we just need to have more people in our workplaces um, who feel able to be themselves enough to say, yes, I'm autistic and that's okay. And I have no idea whether Hayes has any autistic employees, but if you do, I'm sure that they will feel welcome and at home and able to be themselves, which will be really wonderful. I think having the conversation is it's, it's a cliche, but having the conversation it can only help. 
you, the, so the, the diagnosis was, was liberating, uh, shocking, or a shock, uh, I, I guess, as well at some point. You know, how long does it take to get over that, or did it take to get over that, that you know, feeling? Because did you think, well, what do I do now? How, how do I deal with this? Because uh, now, now I know that I am autistic. You probably, deep down, you probably knew anyway, but but now I know, and and and, and there's a diagnosis there. What? How did you come to terms with that? Is are we back to nature here? You know, is, is, you, you're. I think when I say we say walk, t taking a walk through um, central London, you're a little bit more than that. I know that I've read your blogs. You know quite a lot about nature, and you're very observant. And 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 I guess is autism. You're using autism as a strength here, aren't you, to to observe, because you can yes. walk past nature and not see a thing, but but you can you you see and and the be the beauty, uh, having read your blogs, is is that you I think use that as a strength to help others see what you can see, and and that's yeah. this is another strength really. Well, I think it's certainly. It is a feature of autism, the fact that I, well, have hypersensitive senses, so I am going to notice things. Um, but also autistic people tend to be quite enthusiastic about detail. So that means that I will want to look more closely. So when I was walking through London in lockdown, for example, I was very aware of the bird song that I could hear um, because my my hearing is quite acute. Listening to the different sounds, also very aware that they were different sounds to what I would normally hear. I remember being actually quite startled when, for the first time ever, I heard the sound of a bird's wings as it flew past me in London, because normally you wouldn't be able to hear that at all um, over the sound of everything else that was going on. And then, in terms of looking at the detail, I would always like to th see things close up. What's the small scale take as well as the big scale take? So I found myself um, looking around in some of the open green spaces in London, and we're very lucky that we have parks and squares, and seeing um, signs of a fox, for example, which I would never have previously noticed, or um, lot, a larger number of birds congregating on a school's playing fields where previously there would have been children. So it was that focus and I guess having enough of the sensory stimulation of normal London taken away to enable me to focus on all of the other things that were there and enough focus on the detail to notice all the ways in which it was different and just the tiny little bits of animal and bird behaviour that I could see were different. So the birds were flying lower, maybe they weren't put off, maybe normally they would have been put off by the traffic. Um, seeing more squirrels, even quite mundane um, wildlife like rats that you do see. It, everything was more visible um, and just made such a contrast to my detail-focused brain with how London normally is and how it is again now. And, and we take that, we're in Lincolnshire, so we, we, we have lots of, you know, green open spaces, but it's, we take, I think we take for granted, really, that we're never too far away from farmland and, and being able to, uh, you know, if, if you can't see it from your own home, you can see it from a very, very short car journey. But where, where you are in central London, it's, it, it, it's, it's easy to take for granted those green spaces, but they, 
came alive during that that lockdown process, didn't they? Really, and 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 you were part of of of, of the, the the beneficiary, really, in a way of being able to see nature. But also, it sounds sounds like it brought out you know your your talents as well, or your ta- talents were, were were more usable, really, in in the in the uh, in, in the corporate setting, or you know, as, as, a, as a civil servant as well. What there's a few things really here is that I, I'm I'm not autistic, but yet you know I don't know whether I would have appreciated the difference as much as you did if I was walking that same journey to work. I think perhaps I I would have missed something. So I, I want to come on to. Things that you can share, how, you know, th- you talked about being an autistic role model, and, and clearly you are. But I, I, I don't want this. I don't want your knowledge to to pass by somebody like me or me specifically. What can I do here? What what can I, what can I do to be more observant? What can I do to see sometimes to see the world the way you see it? What am I missing? It sounds actually like I'm missing some things. You know, you, you want to be a role model for people, obviously, the role model that, that you didn't have. But I think actually it strikes me you could be a role model for everybody, you know, particularly those who don't spot the things that you spot. So what am I missing? What can I do? What, what can I learn from you? Well, I've obviously never been in your brain, so I, I've, I hesitate to attempt to teach. But I think there's definitely something about the link between... Um, autism and observing nature. Um, if you think about the autistic people in the public eye that we have, there's Chris Packham, who's bringing us um, Autumn Watch this week, in fact. And think about how he would observe wildlife. It's very much about being still and really listening and really watching. Same for Dara Monk-Nelty, who wrote um, Diary of a Young Naturalist. I think that as an autistic person, I can easily become overwhelmed by sensory input. And so it's very tempting for me to go away from sensory input out into the countryside and then allow my my hypersensitive senses to just pick up the background noises that are going on. Whereas probably someone like you, Simon, who's got the brain wiring to be able to screen out of all all that stuff. Maybe you habitually do screen all of those things out because you can focus on what you're concentrating on. I can't pick out one sound from amongst all the rest in the noise and bustle. That's what makes it hard for me to concentrate in a noisy environment. But in an outdoor countryside environment, the fact that my mind is open to all of the sensory input and I can't screen out bits that I'm not concentrating on probably means that I do pick up the things that other people wouldn't notice. So if I were sitting in the countryside, I might easily notice a rustle in the grass, which turned out to be a bird or a little animal. And I do think that that's at the heart of a lot of what you see about those who observe nature professionally, that it's about staying still, opening your senses to everything that's going on and seeing what happens rather than deciding in advance that you're going to focus on a given thing. So I guess that's that's an area where the autistic um, lack of ability to focus and um, tune out input can be really, really helpful. Is it is it important to have an early diagnosis of autism or does it, you know, or does it help to, to 
have an early diagnosis? Is it possible to have an early diagnosis? Well, hopefully the people who are um, autistic young people nowadays are getting those diagnoses and I would imagine that it would be hugely helpful. So I said that my experience was about beating myself up for features of my autism that I thought were my fault. If I'd had an early diagnosis, I wouldn't have had that experience. So if we think of Dara McNulty as an example, he's a young man who was diagnosed as a child and having that knowledge, he was able to manage his life to um, adapt around the features of his autism. So he he's written about the fact that he knows he needs quiet time to be with nature, which is one of his special focused interests. It's a big thing for autistic people that we have special interests that we get really passionate about almost like falling in love. So having that passionate special interest that um, Dara focuses on, that gives him some tranquility and peace, I believe. Also enables him to see why things aren't working at school when they aren't. Whereas for me, a lot of things didn't work at school, but I just assumed it was my fault. So I think it's that ability to know what you could do to make your life better. More understanding has to be better. So can you do, I'm thinking about this, possibly some of our, um, our, our audience, our customers will be, you know, we'll have grandchildren, um, children and so on. Um, is it possible to shrink this world down into a garden space, which could become then a more predictable space for, 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 for our children, whether they're autistic? Well, not autistic, you know, but can we shrink it down so it becomes a more predictable space is introducing. And, and, and obviously we're a bird food company, so it, this, this is a, a loaded question, really. But it would be great to know. <laughs> it would be great to know that something as simple as a, as, a, as a bird feeder, a nest box, the comings and goings of birds um, during the breeding season or, or, or through autumn, um, you know, even or even if it's not bird food, it's chopped up apple on a bird table and just being able to be involved with that apple. Where does it come from? How do we chop it up? Where do we put it? And let's see what comes in. So uh, what, what, what comes into the garden, what lands on the bird table? It, you know, is, is that something that helps the world that we're talking about? Can it help? I'm absolutely sure that it can. And I think there are actually multiple ways in which it can really help. So if anyone listening has got an autistic child or grandchild and realistically somebody will have, that could be a real opportunity for that child if you can put a bird table in the garden and then encourage the child to watch the birds coming and going. That could develop into one of these special interests that I've described, which are one of the great joys of autistic life. It's something that you become so interested in that you need to know all about it. You want to read books to observe more. So it could be that that autistic child becomes really interested in watching the birds on the bird table, which would give them some passionate focus, but also would give them a reason to be out in the garden away from people keeping quiet, which could help them manage their emotions and their stresses. There's lots of information that they could find out, which I'm sure that would be um, 
hugely helpful for that autistic need to know everything. Mm. But the other way in which I think it could be really helpful is that actually it's um, nature study, birds, the countryside, they come with a community. So if an autistic person has a passionate interest in nature, as they grow up, there's a ready-made community of people who are also interested, who will be happy to talk about um, that passion. And so it might actually be a way into a social support group in the future. There are a number of things like that. I happen to use music like that as well. So because I'm a trained musician, I do <clears throat> musical activities and that gives me a social structure whereby I can be with people doing something of common purpose, um, but without having to do complete free socialization while I'm doing it. But I'm thinking the example you give, Siren, it could be an opportunity for an autistic child to begin to dock into that community of nature lovers that they can find online and in the local area and a way to socialize, to be with people, to make connections that doesn't depend on having that sort of um, small talk, free chat that we autistic people can find very difficult. I, I would imagine that it would be much easier to start a conversation with, gosh, I saw a goldfinch on my bird feeder this morning. What did you see? Because, than having to start from nowhere because that gives you a way in. And I would imagine that also the people who um, who are maybe listening to this, if one thing that perhaps they and you could do would be to be as open as possible to to kids or young people or indeed adults who might be autistic, who might be a little bit socially awkward, might not know the right thing to say, but who are passionately interested in nature and who would like to be part of their community. So from from our perspective, uh, perspective as a company that's, um, you know, obviously, you know, promoting uh, its wares, you know, we're a commercial business, we, we've got to survive. If, if we don't survive, we don't come back next year to, to, to you know, to keep, um, to keep obviously doing what we're doing. But we are, um, we are uh, focusing on trying to make a positive difference and on understanding the bigger picture, which is, is partly why we open Nature Space uh, with Hayes as a podcast. And, and, and hopefully, you know, you sharing your story encourages people to, to, you know, look at other things like the community. That's the other thing, isn't it? Because it's, it's okay at some point, uh, you know, boredom obviously is, is boredom an, an issue? Is, 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 bored, is boredom a, a challenge at all? Because I'm thinking here that the thing is with the natural world, it doesn't really matter how much time you plow into it. There's always something new. There's something new to learn. So is, is that good or uh, you know, do, do, do autistic people get bored quickly? Um, and I'm hoping I'm, you're not bored with our conversation, by the way. <laughs> I have internalized quite enough social so. skills to say no, even if I had been. <laughs> but no, of course I'm not. Um, so um, it's, I, it's definitely a good, a good thing that there is always more to learn um, for a, a true special interest passion, which all autistic people will have in something. You just want to know more and more and that's, I guess that is the analogy to being in love, that you can't get enough. Right. So I, the stereotype would be train spotting people who can spend hours, days, weeks, years of their lives just waiting for the right train with the right number on it. 
um, what we're talking about in terms of nature study, there is, as you say, going to be no end to what you can observe, even if you're observing the same species year on year, their behaviour might change, the effects of climate change might become apparent, you can probably watch the patterns of things altering, or you might move to a different part of the country and see entirely different animals and birds. It is just endless, and I think that really does play into the fact that um, study of natural world and science is such a common autistic passion. Yes. What can we do as a company, we as Hayes, a Burford company, what can we do to make it easier uh, for this information to be shared? You know, we, we've already said it, it, visual, so this is our first podcast that, that's going to be recording, you know, from a visual perspective. Um, you know, if, if we write a blog, for example, well, that's, that, that's fine, but it, that obviously sounds like it makes it harder um, there's, there's more effort to understand it, but if the blog was accompanied by a video, um, then, then then that wouldn't that may make it easier for the information to be shared. Well, so I think, are they, are I they think, the things that we should be looking at? I think those are good things to do. And coming back to the point that every autistic person is different, um, I think the more communication channels, the better, because one of them is going to work for most people. So. I'm very happy with the written word because it's a visual input. I find it really difficult to process words that I've only heard, but if I can see them written down, that's much easier. Some people like graphics, pictures. Some people will like to, to listen. So I think having that variety of ways of communicating is really important, not giving people just one channel. It's back to your point that everybody's individual, really. You can only speak for how you see the, the world and 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 I and I'm the same for for me. We you mentioned Chris Packham and uh, and, um, and uh, can you tell me you know what what's what has Chris done for this subject? Is, is, it, it, he must have helped. Yes, it was a few years ago. I think 2017. Chris made um, a documentary about his experience of autism. I think he was late diagnosed because he's of an age that probably wouldn't have been diagnosed in childhood anyway. And he talked about his passionate intensity of connection with the natural world, which is clearly one of his special interests. And he also talked about his <clears throat> very passionate collection with animals. So um, he has had a very devoted relationship with his pets, which he's talked about. I think he had a bird of prey in childhood that was colossally important to him. Mm. Now he has dogs. And that's very common for autistic people to be to have that connection with animals because it's a relationship you can have that doesn't rely on the sort of social niceties that one has to have with people so um temple grandin who's a very famous autistic researcher has also had a great connection with animals i think any form of um animals whether pets or the natural world are a huge thing for autistic people but the other thing that chris has done is just making it more visible. So um, I think part of the journey towards true acceptance and awareness of autistic people in society will be that we have people who are openly autistic but are famous not for being autistic, if you see what I mean. I, it was a great moment for disability inclusion when David Blunkett became the first um, blind cabinet minister because he was he was a cabinet minister the fact that he was blind was incidental 
Chris is a great nature presenter. The fact that he's autistic is incidental. So we need more people who are succeeding doing their roles in the workplace or in the public sphere who also happen to be autistic. Um, because that will show that all of those children who are getting diagnosed now, they can have people to look up to and see that success is a possibility. I think the great toxic thing that I encountered when I was diagnosed was the feeling that the diagnosis closed off opportunities and routes for advancement and the possibility of success because I couldn't see anyone like me that was succeeding. Whereas hopefully with more people like Chris in the public eye, that, that will gradually get chipped away. I, we know that representation isn't everything. We have the first Hindu prime minister. That's a huge deal. But also it doesn't solve all of the problems of race prejudice in the UK. But it is a step in the right direction. So we need to have um, people feeling able to talk about autism. I would say one of the things that's been particularly corrosive is the sort of culture of don't ask, don't tell and shame that you get around autism. Um, some of my friends have autistic kids but it's just never talked about. And, and when I thought about that, I realized it's actually very toxic to have something that is never spoken of because that does have implicit shame, doesn't it? So if, if a child is autistic, but, but we just don't talk about it, then that tells the child there's something wrong about me. Um, I must hide this or I will shame my parents. So we need to get away from that shame and that stigma. There are lots of successful people all across industries and the civil service who are autistic, but who are keeping quiet about it at the moment because there is that stigma. The stereotype of Rain Man, Sheldon Cooper, really isn't very helpful. And they know that if they're open about their autism, they'll probably be judged and their careers will suffer. As we get more people being open, that will reduce and that will give many more opportunities for progression for the people who are coming through and it will begin to take away yeah. this shame. Does it upset you when you know that people, you know, don't come forward? It does, but equally it's their decision. Um, and it's a hugely personal piece of information and someone is entirely entitled to take the choice that they want to privilege their career over openness. Um, I guess these are the same sort of considerations that people have had with all kinds of other diversity characteristics over the years. So um, it was a big deal in the 80s when Ian McKellen became an openly gay actor. Not that there weren't plenty of other gay actors, but he was the one who felt able to be open about it. But there was a lot of controversy um, and he got some difficulties as a result of that so he made a brave choice I feel that we're at kind of that same sort of stage with autism that we that we need people to start making that choice but equally there are a lot of people who have succeeded by being quiet by going for the don't ask don't tell and that's absolutely fine and it's part of the progression but hopefully we are progressing away from needing for that to be the case Yes. See, I think some of the things you've explained sound like superpowers. <laughs> and, 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 that, and, and that's, I think, is, you know, the way, the, the way you've um, illuminated 
them, you know, you've, it's like switching a light on in the corner of the room. It's making, and, and I and I hope anybody who's listening, the problem is, you know, our children aren't won't be listening to this because they'll some of them w will be engaged in other things. You know, t tech has 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 created this new world, and I suppose thinking of some of the things we've talked about, feeding the birds and creating this community, could also be um, online. Really, it could be a virtual community of things that you know very easily occupy that 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 space and become the go-to world because then the, it can be controlled. I suppose, or or it, they could be around, you know, other people that feel. Well, but the, the but the the connection that we get from the natural world, though, is very hard to get online. I know there are studies that say if if you don't leave your home, but if you look at videos and imagery of 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 natural history, um, you know, the, the the brain can be convinced that you know you're experiencing these things, and 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 I'm, I know that is is um there's certainly science that says that's correct but nevertheless you know if you're walking through a a, a bluebell wood and and you will you are walking through a wood with bluebells and that and that is the difference here what we want to encourage we don't want to encourage people to be looking at virtual bird feeders um we that's that would be a sad day really for us we want people to be uh, to to be of course filling a bird feeder full of food but entertaining wildlife in their own garden, but also thinking about why. Why is is, is, is that goldfinch? Uh, why is that charm of goldfinches now dependent on this bird food? What's happened in our countryside um, that, that, that has made them dependent on supplementary bird food? But not that we want the children to worry about that, because we just want them to think that is a wonderful looking bird, you know, and how many other birds are there? And, and that's, that's, let's keep an eye open for them. Yeah, what we what would be I, 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 I'm imagining you've got a, a, a takeaway for us really here, and, and you're thinking what what can you leave us with that, that that makes us think or just wakens us up to really w w where we are and what experience can you share? You, you want to be this this role model, and you are. Uh, I can see that, and you've been brave enough to say. I will stand up for this cause and I will share my experience. And, and I think as long as there are people in this world who, who don't walk past people in distress and, and, and who, who, who are prepared to stand up and be counted, the world will be a better place for it. And I think we're having to stand up for nature. Uh, nature is under attack from somewhere. It's either the government or it's climate change. It's biodiversity loss. And, and so on. But we, we want to stand up for nature and make a positive difference. And obviously you want to make a, a, a positive difference and be that autistic role model. But the, the floor is yours, really. What, what do, what's the takeaway? Well, I think you've really summed up a lot of the autistic experience there in that we can have that passion for justice. It's not any particular virtue in us. We just have it as part of the autism. And you see it in people like Greta Thunberg. You have a huge passion for a cause. And I think that an awful lot of the passion and sense of justice in today's young autistic people and um, young neurotypical people is being channeled into fighting climate change and to standing up for nature. But I guess the takeaway message that I would leave with you, which I think applies both to um, 
making the world inclusive for autistic people and making the world more inclusive for nature is listen more. And I'd say that to mean listen more to nature, observe the world around you, stop, maybe take your headphones out of your ears and see what else you can hear. But also when you're talking to an autistic person, their brain is going to be very fundamentally different from yours unless you're autistic yourself. And so <clears throat> you really do need to listen and hear what you're told. It might make no sense because your brain is different, but hear what the person said. So if an autistic person says, I really can't bear that light bulb, it hurts my eyes, it might seem completely irrational to you, but hear it and believe it because it's what's true for them. So I think it's that ability to listen to the world around you and get out of your own head that makes so much difference both to awareness of nature and to making the world more friendly to the one in a hundred of us or so who are autistic. Okay. Dr. Helen Jeffries, thank you very much. It, it's, uh, I, this, uh, unfortunately for me, I feel like this is the only the first step in my understanding really of, of, of but, uh, but, the takeaway for me is that we're all different, aren't we? We're all different. And, and, and I suppose if I use my business, uh, if I put my business hat on for a moment in terms of marketing, you know, there, there is no point marketing a message that nobody wants to hear. And, 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 the, and the message here is, is that we all are different. Uh, on, listen, understand, and try and get the best from people. I think nature can bring that out, but it, what it asks in return is, is to listen and observe and and then and perhaps then we will learn a little bit more about um about what we should be doing in life and how, how to handle ourselves and our friends colleagues and so on a little bit better but thank you very much it's i really do appreciate your time thanks for joining us on nature's space with Hayes. i feel there may be a follow-up podcast really coming and and, and perhaps zooming into specifically what we can do in our gardens, really, just some little things, you know, just maybe bird feeders, nest boxes, just the comings and goings, just to encourage people just to take that little first flight with, with nature and, and encourage them to just enjoy what's, what's on our doorsteps. But thank you ever so much, and uh, I hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you, Simon. Thank you.